let's open the word of Lord a moment. Um, I want to take you over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We're going to read from verses 25 all the way to 34. The word of the Lord reads as follows. Therefore, I tell you, and Jesus was uh, talking, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies in the field grow. They don't labor, they don't spin. But yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown out into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, Father, we thank You for Your Word. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might understand, uh, Lord, reveal to us your truths contained in this portion of Scripture. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray, think through my mind, speak through my lips. Oh God, glorify your name in this place. You preach, you teach. We'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And amen. You may be seated in God's presence. It's, it's very important that we understand how critical it is that we put God first in everything that we do. As you know, statistics make it very clear that married folk uh, in general are more wealthier than the single folk. After the married folk get used to each other and they realize they're on the same team, because it takes some time to acclimate, but after they uh, start really bridging the gap and start thinking as one, they start working together and coalescing both of their forces, saving together, investing together, working together, um, dreaming together. Their visions become uh, one vision. So what, what ends up happening is that in their latter days, they're usually and generally more wealthier than the single folk. And it has to do uh, with uh, relationship. Relationship is vital. When we say about putting God first, we're not just saying um, an action of putting somebody first. It's a heart. It's a heart condition where God is first in my life. And as I look at my own life, on a daily basis, I'm continuously walking this life, thinking about God's laws thinking about His grace. When I go through difficulties, I don't feel alone. I really feel that He's with me. Why? Because He promised me. And He's not man that He should lie. Some people say the man upstairs. No, He's not a man upstairs. He's Almighty God. Amen. He's not man that He should lie. He's faithful. 
So when I'm going through the difficult time, I remember that he told me via his word. And the reason why I connect to his word is the Bible says his word and him are one. You can't separate God and his word. God is faithful to his word. In the old days when men shook hands uh, and they said that they'd honor each other, word was bond. It's not like today that the minute they're signing a contract, they already have a loophole to break the contract. When God says something, he actually means it. So when I'm going through a difficult time, he told me that we would go through difficult times here on earth. He said, but don't worry, I am with you. See, he never promised we wouldn't go through problems. He said, I'd be with you in the midst of the problems. Prophetically, because uh, uh, King David was a great prophet. One time he prophesied, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear because you're with me. And if you've been with me long enough, you know, I gave you a little history about this shadow of death thing. And for those of you that didn't hear it before, I'll just briefly touch on it. When the shepherd brings his sheep to pastures, sometimes they have to go long distances. Sometimes they have to go through rocky terrain. And there's a, a place uh, in the Middle East where there are two mountains that are very close together. <clears throat> and when you go through the mountains, it gets very dark. And you can't see the sun because it's so tight. It's so tight that only one person at a time could pass through. So when the sheep go through <clears throat> the two mountains, all after a while they could hear is the shepherd's voice. As the shepherd goes and they follow, he's continually calling them. They can't turn around. There's one sheep in front of them. There's another sheep behind them. So they cannot turn around. So it's very easy to get intimidated and afraid in a situation like that. There's hardly any sun at all. It's very dark there. And David will say, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, because it feels like death in that place, I won't fear no evil because you are with me. As long as the sheep continue hearing the voice of the shepherd, it doesn't freak them out. And they get to the other side and they get to the greener pastures. So... As long as we're, we're connected to Almighty God, we're hearing God uh, throughout the day, things will happen, but we'll receive strategy and wisdom from the Lord. It's important that we put God first because, like I mentioned before, many of us put God last. And then we go through all the challenges of life, all the vicissitudes of life, you know, or the life, uh, life slams us. And then at the end of the day, then we say, yeah, I thought God was with me. So you have no relationship. You never pray to him. You never read his word. You don't meditate on his word. You reach out to him in crisis. And don't get me wrong, God will respond to you in crisis. But that's not his best for you. That's right, that's right. You understand? His best is simply marrying you. Mm-hmm. You are the bride of Christ. Amen. He doesn't want to just give you a date. God wants to marry you. Now, my wife and I, we, we have a great relationship. Um, I respect her highly. She respects me highly. But let me tell you something. Uh, when I say mi casa su casa, I really mean it. My house is her home. We have no secrets. She knows all of my, my, my uh, credit card numbers. She knows all of my codes. She can get into my bank account, take all my money if she wants. Because she knows it all. So what ends up happening is we're one. She knows my desires, I know her desires, you know, the dreams, the hopes, and we work toward it. And, and looking at it now, years later, I said, thank God for her, because she's been able to help me in areas where I was blind. You know, we all have blinders. Yes. We're all insular in one way or another. I have helped her, and she has helped me. 
Well, in your relationship with Almighty God, that's what He wants to do. He wants to help you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you on a daily basis, I might add. So what happens when we live in that level of relationship with Almighty God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God will flow in you and through you, and you'll be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and come out and fear no evil. So the first true principle is a heart recognition that God is first in your life. That's where everything I am, everything I have, I share with Heavenly Father. He's my Heavenly Father. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my King. He's my High Priest. He's my everything. So what I do is I share life with Him, but I put Him first. Because the bottom line is, if I don't put my wife first, if I'm out there flirting with other girls, I'm going to be in trouble. They watch each other. But they're right, though. Yeah, they're absolutely right. And, and I don't expect no less. I, I, feel, I feel very, um, you know, I'm all that, man. My wife, she just wants me. That's it, man. Yeah, I feel good about that. I don't have a problem with that. Well, one time, and Lourdes knows this, because Lourdes, she worked with us in the Promise Keepers. You know, I was so busy working, I, I, I helped to organize the largest gathering of men in, this, in the city. In 1996, it was a Shea Stadium men's event, and the Promise Keepers came in, and 3,800 volunteers helped to bring in 44.5 thousand men to worship God, and, and they gave me the privilege of being the event manager. So I was involved, and, and National came in, and a lot of staff, men and women came in, and they were very uh, friendly with each other. Uh, they were a very friendly bunch. So I said, okay. I, they flew me out to Colorado Springs. I, I learned uh, their culture. And I said, hey, that's great. I, I appreciate that. Prayed together. Uh, they played together, went bowling, and, and, and great things. It was wonderful. I, I loved working for that organization. But one day, I'm over here. I'm in Chase Stadium, and we're in one of the offices. And I'm doing my stuff, and, and one of the ladies says, Victor, you, you look very oh, stressful, you know, stressed out. I said, yeah, man. So she goes, behind, man, you know, let me just, you know, she, she goes like this to me, you know. And, and, and so my wife is like on the, in the other room, so she's like, yeah, so, you know, I'm that, wow, that's great, thank you, you know. And, you know, in my heart, I'm not thinking anything. That's the way they are. They were that way. So she comes up and says, honey, how are you? Do you, want a, do you want a massage? Because if you want a massage, I can give you a massage. So the lady went like this. The lady went. <laughs> so so I, I was so embarrassed. I, I wanted to, you know, we have a saying in Spanish, trágame tierra, swallow me, swallow me ground whole. So I, I just, I looked at her, I said, hon, you, you know, you bad, you bad. So she, she said, bad? You don't know bad. You don't want to see bad. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty rough moment for me. But, you know, in a roundabout way, Minister Tony, I felt, you know, uh, you know, my wife's fighting for me, you know? That was pretty... Huh? It was a, it was a, I was embarrassed, but it was a good embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, she gave a class on marriage. 
she gave a class in marriage, nobody drinks from my well. Absolutely right. Amen. Absolutely right. right. See, but that's, that's the level of relationship that God is seeking with us. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want you worshiping him on Sunday and then worshiping the devil on Monday. See, he's married to you, so he's going to give you his best. He gave you Jesus, Philippians 2.9. Jesus, being God, had no problem understanding this. He made himself a servant. He put himself in a form of man and submitted himself as a man on the cross. Gave his life. So the level of gift that God gave us showed us the level of relationship and the commitment level that he has. Minister Tony again was talking about commitment. And very few people want that level of commitment. But you don't understand. When I commit to something, that's when the resources start flowing to me. The moment I committed to Gwendolyn, and I told her I'm going to marry you, and then I put the ring on her finger, I got all of her benefits of relationship, of friendship. She watches for me. I mean, she'll take a bullet for me, and I'll take a bullet for her. Anybody messes with her, I will put some pain on that person. Yeah, yeah, don't mess with my wife, don't mess with my children. I will hurt you. That's right. That's right. Are you a pastor? No, I'm a father first. I'm a husband first. I will protect my family. That's right. I won't pick a fight, but if I see you messing with my wife, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a knuckle sandwich. Huh? Maracu? Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll rock you with my knuckles. <laughs> all right, all right. I get both old and new there. I'm gonna end you. <laughs> but it's it's the level of relationship I have with my wife, and this is the relationship that God is seeking with us. He wants us to see Him as our husbandman. And he wants us to know that that's how much He loves us, and He's jealous for us. Amen. But He also wants that right back. From the beginning of scripture, you could see that in the garden. God said, I'll give you everything. Adam, Eve, it's all yours. But this belongs to me. Don't mess with that tree. That's right. God's always been that way. Is it God love? Yeah, he's love. But he's very particular as to who he gives that level of entree, that, that level of trust factor. That's right. That's right. He, one time Jesus said, do not give your pearls to the swine. In other words, don't give the precious to people that won't appreciate it. That's right. And I've had to learn this the hard way. Because, you know, initially, I don't know, probably it was because of my upbringing. I wanted to please my parents. Uh, uh, something happened in there. And I always try to please people. And I've learned. You can't please everybody. Some people aren't going to like you just because you look like somebody they don't like. So, you know, I've realized I can't please everyone. See? But the one I want to please is Almighty God. Yes. Amen. And some, some people don't like me because I'm a Christian. Some people don't like me because I'm a pastor. And we know there's a growing trend of persecution on a global scale against pastors. I fully understand that. My commitment to God, it, it, it just understands that if I love him, some will hate me. And Jesus even said it, because you love me, some people will hate you. You see, that's just the way it is. And I'm willing to stand for Almighty God because He loves me. And not for nothing, He can give me what the world cannot give me. The world promises a lot and gives little. God promises, period, and He gives. 
and gives and gives and continue to give. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you look at scripture, every time God dealt with his people, he always put something in there just to test their heart. Because he wants nothing less than your heart. Adam, don't touch the tree. Why did he do that? It was a test. Israel, the first people you meet, the first city, as you're going and conquering the land, it's mine. Don't take anything from it. That's the way he is. Well, I, I want to do it my way. You, you don't understand. You yourself like things a certain way. How dare you think that God's not going to want things a certain way? This, this world, I laugh as to how they're trying to change the Bible to suit their decisions. It, it just, it, it, I look at it and say, you see how spoiled we are? We want things our way. We want to take every chapter from the Bible, every page from the Bible you don't like, and rewrite it. Well, with all due respect, I don't care how I rewrite the things you like or don't like, it's still going to be the same thing. And with all due respect, no matter how much you rewrite the Bible, the bottom line is, if God is the way he is, and he wants what he wants. Right. And how do you tell God, don't like it, or like it, whatever? No, you do it my way. Excuse me? This chair cannot tell me what it's for. I tell chair. Man created chair. Chair didn't create man. Right? So this chair tells me, I'm a hammer. I'm going to tell the chair, you don't know what you're talking about. I created you. But yet we, the chair, want to tell Almighty God what we want to do, how we should function. So then when we do what we want to do, we get sick and we, get, we, we throw ourselves against the wall, then we want to blame God. Oh, I thought we God is love. God, I, thought, I thought God is love. Yes. But he also respects your decision-making process. One thing God will never cross is your decision-making process. You make a decision, you're free to make your decision. But once you make a decision, you become a slave to your decision. You must submit to the very decision that you make. And God will respect that. And God will let you slam yourself against the wall. Because he's a gentleman. That's what you wanted. And he knows you're going to slam against the wall. And he's got the healing salve right there, ready for you. Ready for you. Bah! It's like the old, old-fashioned parents. No toque eso. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Te lo dije. I told you. Don't touch it. Now come, let me give you some. You know. And in my case, my parents, if I did it anyway, I burned myself, then my, wife, my mom would burn me a little more with the you know, correa. You know what the correa is? The belt. Someone told me that they actually found... No, no, somebody told me they actually found a chancleta in action on YouTube. I, I found it. I'm going to send it to you. I got it. Where, where the mothers throw the chancleta. The history. And it'll follow the child in every, throughout every room. Like a, mid, a guided missile. Tang! <laughs> Praise God. So, when, when we put God first, what we're doing is we're honoring Him. See, I honor my wife wherever I go. Anything that would try to get in the, in the middle, I'll push it aside because I honor my wife above anything else. So when we honor God, we're putting Him first. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, if we honor the Lord 
We can also honor the Lord not just with our life, with our heart, but we can honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruit of all our crops. It says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. When we put God first and we take a portion of what he's blessed us with back to his kingdom, what we're actually saying is that money doesn't dominate us. Well, what we're saying is we don't love that. We love you. Because on earth, the most important thing, on earth I'm saying, on the earth realm, the most important thing is money. People fight for money. They'll kill you for money. They'll lie. They'll cheat. All to get money. Because money is symbolic of power and authority. It allows you to do what you want to do. Right? How many of you have had your taxes raised uh, this last week or so? What are you going to do about it? We can't do anything about it. You know why? You know why we can't do anything about it? Because I can go to Channel 7 tomorrow and, and I could speak to them. I said, listen, I want you to tell all those congressmen, all those um, House of Representatives, all of them, every single one of them, I want you to tell them exactly what I'm going to tell you. I want you, I want you to tell them they're acting foolish. They're not doing right by us. They need to stop bringing down some of this debt. Then, and, and I could go on and on and just tell them some stuff, right? Laugh. Laugh? I won't even be able to get to talk to them. You know why? The, the people that own that station, the millionaire or billionaire that owns that station tells them what to say. And they're in cahoots. That's the problem. They've become the voice box of the elites, I guess. You see my point? So money on earth is very powerful. Even if you don't like Trump, most people will call him Mr. Trump and shake his hand and, yeah, how you doing, Mr. Trump? Come, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, right? But yet, will they treat you that way if you went to the hotel? Because it's all about money. Money is a very important factor here on earth. But most people don't understand that money is simply a tool. They will worship money. They'll kill for money. They'll adore money. And it's the worst possible thing you could do. It's a great Servant, it's a horrible master. So we need to, as Christians, understand this thing even has a spirit connected to it on earth called mammon. So I understand that, so I put that in its place. That is a tool. And God gives me the ability, uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, to create wealth so that its purposes can be fulfilled here on earth. We need to buy a church now, right? A, a church building, right? So I went into the real estate, and I said, how you doing? Pastor Victor, Calvary Christian Fellowship, could you guys give us that church building? You know what they told me? They told me, you see that door behind you? Same way you walked in, walk right back out, right? It actually didn't happen because I know better, but that's what they would have told me. The truth of the matter is I had to walk in with money. And you empowered me. We all got together and we saved for a couple of years. And when I came in, I said, Pastor Victor, Calvary Christian Fellowship. Look at our bank account. The minute I showed bank account, they changed. Before, I just said my name. Yeah, uh-huh, and I know a lot of Victors. Yeah, we know a lot of churches. But the minute I showed them my bank account, it moved them. See my point? So money is a tool. So we as a church understanding that we, re we pool our resources 
to get the, the, the purposes and the will of God done in our lives. Money is a tool for our families. We help and bless our children. So what happens is, if we see money as a tool, we'll stop being foolish with it. Because most people are foolish with their tool. I can't take my hammer and go around and sing with it and, you know, like, come on, let's walk together, hammer. <laughs> They'll think I'm crazy. A hammer has a specific, you know, reason for existence. And since we don't understand money, we misuse money. We'll throw it away. You know, this thing is a very important thing in this day. And God is saying, if you can't, listen to this, very important. Jesus made it very clear. If you don't know how to handle money, I cannot release the greater things for you. The anointing of God, the healing anointing, the revelation of the word. God actually speaks more about money, or rather Jesus spoke more about money than he did about other things in scripture. Hundreds of times Jesus spoke about money. Because the way we relate to this tool determines how much God can trust us. One time Jesus said this, if I can't trust you with a little bit, how am I going to trust you with a lot? If you're unfaithful in the little, you will be unfaithful in much. One time Jesus said, um, there's this guy that handed money to three guys. And he says, I'm leaving, I expect increase when I come back. So when he came back years later, he came, okay, what did you do with my money? One guy said, well, you gave me five talents, which was the equivalent of $137,000. Right now it's probably more closer to, to a million because it was gold. You gave me five talents of gold. I actually multiplied it and I gave you ten talents. Here it is. He says, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. You were faithful with a little, now I'm going to give you much. There's a guy who gave two talents to, probably the equivalent of maybe 1.5 million to 2 million. And the guy says, well, you gave me two, but I multiplied it and I gave you four. So the Lord says, faithful servant, enter into my joy. You are faithful with a little, I'm giving you more. He gave a guy one talent, and the guy got afraid because the guy didn't understand the heart of his master. So what he did, he took the talent and he hid it. When the master came back, he says, what did you do? He said, well, you know, I know you're kind of tough, so what I did, I just hid it. I, I kept it for you. Here's your talent. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You should have put it in the bank. I would have got some interest out of it. So the first principle that you can garner out of that is God expects increase from us. Tell your neighbor he expects increase. He expects increase, from us. He expects increase in your life. He expects increase of your gifts. He expects you to grow. He don't want you to stay the same place. See, but that demands something uh, that we don't understand many times. And that is we have to break the spirit of indolence in our lives. We have to break the spirit of laziness. I'm not getting very many amens today. But see, I'm just breaking this news, so I have to give you a lot. Laziness is your absolute enemy. God does not give you money. He gives you the ability to acquire money. He does not give you uh, a free reign. Just things are going to come in. He gives you opportunities. So what happens is, when you decide to honor him and say, okay, he wants increase. 
So, Father, show me. And you go out there and you start working hard and you start trading and you start sharing your gift with others. You start mingling it with others. What will happen is increase will happen. And as increase happens, people will get saved, people will get discipled, people will get set free. Why? Because you'll start creating opportunities for them to hear the word of the Lord. You'll start, hear, uh, uh, you'll start sharing your testimony. If all you have right now is a testimony and two verses, use them. Because God will multiply that for you. There's a principle already on earth called the principle of multiplication. And as you use what you have with diligence and with love and with care, there will be a multiplication factor. The other area is that God didn't call us to remain the same. So he also wants us to continually study his word. Study. Say with me, study. Study Study. Study is hard work. You've got to go to school. You've got to prepare yourself. Well, I went to school. I got my high school diploma. That's just the beginning. You need to study for the rest of your life. How are you going to write books? How are you going to become the supervisor if you don't learn about um, building management or, or, or commercial management? If you don't learn about numbers, if you don't learn how to, you know, account, accounting. How long did you have to study in school to get the new degree? Well, I started in 2007 in mental health counseling. Then I went 2007 mental health counseling. Then nurse practitioner in 2010. 2010 nurse practitioner to now. What? Don't you have your diploma already? <laughs> I, I have multiple. You have multiple <laughs> diplomas. But yet you went and you're studying again. Mm-hmm. At this uh, time of your life, you're still young. But I, didn't you finish already? <laughs> the answer is no. She worked harder now than probably for the others. But let me tell you something. When she walks in with the wisdom and the knowledge that she's gathered due to her discipline and study, they're going to go, we want to hire you. Other people say, I'd like that job. See the door? Say where you went in. It's the same way you're going to go out. Make sure there's a hit. Yeah, right. See, understand. God expects us to better ourselves. God expects you to study. He expects you to get into his word. He expects you to go into your job, maybe as a laborer, and come out as a supervisor. Amen. You don't stay the same. You don't remain the same. But you have to break a spirit of laziness. You have to break us. Also, there's a cap on you. So figuratively, just take your cap off. Come on, take your cap off. Take it off. That was the limit that was imposed upon you by circumstance, situation, family, past failures. You have to break through that and get to the next level. Because at the next level, there are people expecting you, people that you need to mentor, people that you need to be a representative of Christ too. Amen. So when we're putting God first, we understand He takes us from a place where we expect everything to be given to us. Now we love the world like He loves the world. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that what Jesus did was easy? By age 12, you knew He was already studying the Word for years. Because when He walked into the church or the temple... He was dialoguing about the kingdom of God. He was dialoguing about the laws of Moses with with the priests at age 12. Jesus prepared himself. By the time he was 30, he began his ministry. He was already a rabbi. You know what a rabbi has to do? He has to memorize the five books of the Torah. And he stood up as a priest or as a rabbi and shared Luke 4.18. 
he said, he says, I'm anointed to do this. I am the one. And he shared right out of the word. My God. He worked hard. And then he had no time for playing. He wasn't out there playing b-ball. He wasn't out there playing soccer. While they would ask him, come over. He says, I have no time for that. I'm fulfilling my destiny. I'm fulfilling my purpose. For who? For you and for me. So there was a sacrifice there. There was a discipline there. There was a set-apartness in his ministry for you and for me. And at the right time, he showed up. At the right time. He wasn't late. He wasn't delayed. You know, he didn't come like a month later. Yeah, I, was, I meant to, but you know, I was hanging out over there. I wanted to eat some more figs. No. He was right on time. Disciplined. Because he saw the need. So when we catch that, we realize that our husbandmen also loves these people, so the love of God comes in us, but then now it starts flowing through us. And, and, and as we put God first, we put His agenda first. We put His love first. What He loves now becomes what I love. What He hates becomes what I hate. Hallelujah. Amen. So now I realize I can't just do whatever I please now. I can't be watching hours and hours and playing games hours and hours. I have to prepare myself because there are people that God is going to love through me. Say to your neighbor, God loves people through you. Amen. Amen. He calls us to pray. He calls us to seek his purposes for other people that don't understand it yet. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2 it, it, it says, don't be selfish. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. And when we take a similar attitude, we also develop a great name. Because there are ministers in times past that we remember that they sacrificed for their time, for their generation, for their people. And today remember, we remember their name. They have a great name. Why? Because they allowed God to move mightily through them. So there are several things that um, we realize. In the principle of generosity, Chuck Thompson, he taught several principles or practical expressions of generosity. So we express, uh, we express generos generosity like God expressed generosity. So this is what happens. Number one, we establish a tithe. A tithe is something, it's actually tenth of. But it's more than that. It's a recognition that Almighty God is the one. On earth, I don't have any other Lord. He is Lord. So when we establish a tithe as an expression of love and giving back to God, we're acknowledging his lordship over every aspect of our life. Abram did it. God didn't tell him to give a tithe. He gave it. He won a war. And when a priest came, he says, here's a tithe. Of everything I was able to get, here's a tithe. 
Interesting. He acknowledged God in that area. Why? In this earth realm, the most important thing happens to be that. What about uh, later? Jacob. Jacob did it also. When God blessed Jacob, Jacob said, I'm going to give a tithe of everything to you, Lord. Why? It was not that he was paying God off. You can't pay God off. Uh, Currency or dollars, just paper. It's useless in heaven. What he showed God with that action was that he, he wasn't a slave to anything here on earth. See? David acknowledged this. In, in Chronicles 29, verse 14, look how David shares. He's about ready to give the largest offering he ever gave. He gave half a billion dollars for the church building. Yeah, and he wasn't even going to build it. He was letting his son build it, Solomon. And he said this as he's praying. He says, Lord, who am I? What is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, as sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store, in other words, all our resources that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name comes from your own hand. And it is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart, and you have pleasure in uprightness. Right there, you try the heart. Some of your most difficult moments, do you think that maybe God is looking at the way you're responding? I would say yes, because he tries the heart. Because that's what he's after. He's not after our time, our talent, our treasure. He's after our heart. When he has a heart, in other words, we put him first, then he says, good, now I have on earth a man or a woman I can trust. Now I can flow my resources through that person and the, 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 the work of that generation can be accomplished. Can God trust you with a billion dollars right now? No. I would dare to say that, you know, somebody said, no, yeah, thank you. Well, uh, most people can't take a billion dollars. No. You wouldn't know what to do with it. I dare to say this, if the average person, including among us, were to receive $100 million right now, it would probably become a curse to you. What do you mean? Well, you'll lose all your friends. You'll lose all your family members. What do you mean? Your family members will come in line from the largest to the smallest, to the oldest to the youngest, and they will demand money from you. And not once, you will become their ATM machine. And since you know that cannot continue forever, you will have to break relationship with them. And it's a very painful thing to do. How do you handle that? See, you have to... Yeah, I'm serious. I'm serious. The best thing to do, become a millionaire anonymously. Save your money, don't tell anybody anything. Be a blessing anonymously. You want to bless somebody, don't even tell them. Just put a check in the mail under some company's name. They'll come to you, oh, I was blessed. I said, oh, good, I'm so happy for you. Serious, serious. So what happens is God first has to test you, try you, let you grow and mature in, in, in the trust of these areas. And then when he sees you at that level, he'll trust you at this level. Then he releases to you the resources at the level where you're at. Little by little as you grow, he trusts you more and he can release more. But make no mistake about it. Most people cannot handle what God wants to release on earth this day. God will give some, some people in the kingdom money and they'll leave the Lord right away. 
They'll stop going to church. They'll buy a house in Maui. Buy a mansion in, uh, in uh, I don't know, the Bahamas somewhere. Another one in Puerto Rico. One in South America. One in, uh, maybe in the Asia, in Africa somewhere. Europe. Buy a house in Italy and you'll never see them again. Why? Because their heart wasn't ready for that. So the first thing is we need to learn how to be faithful where we're at right now. I remember years ago in this ministry, I, I want to say around probably 18 years, man, about 21 years ago, um, I lost my job. So my, my salary went from, I don't know, 30000 40000 to zero. That's a big difference, right? So you know what I did? I worked for the church for three months for the summer. The church gave me $50 a week. So my wife and I tithed $5 every single week. And we lived off of 45 for three months. We had fun. I, I, I was in people's homes. We evangelized. We did a lot of wonderful things. It was great. After three months, I had to get myself a full-time job. But for those three months, I paid $5 tithe. You know why? It never went through my head. Not once that, oh, well, since I'm not making this much, I'm not going to honor my God. No. I wanted to show God, even at that point, I love you more than I love this. This is a tool. And right now, I can't do all of this, but I can do this. But the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure... That I honor you and, and put you first in that. Amen. Second thing we can do is respond to God's, God's promptings and give from obedience. Abraham obeyed God when he prompted him. One time God gave him a son called Isaac. And meanwhile the man is like 100 years old and God gave him a son at that time. And then God went further and said, that's going to be your inheritance. Through this boy, I'm going to give you more family than you could ever count like the sands of the sea, and like the stars of the earth, that's going to be your inheritance. And then like maybe, maybe he's four, five, six, seven, eight years old, one day God tells him, um, Abraham, your son Isaac, give him to me. So what do you mean, Lord? Sacrifice him to me in the mountain. And you know what the Bible says? That God so trusted, I mean, that Abram, Abraham so trusted God, when he heard his voice, he said, that's the Lord, I'm going to obey him. So, honey, we'll be right back. We're going to go worship. That's what, that's what Abraham said. We're going to go worship. What he was going to do is give the boy that God had promised right back to God. So as they're going, the boy's going, where's uh, the offering, uh, Dad? He says, don't worry, the Lord will provide. And then he puts the boy on the altar, ties him down, gets the knife. See, because in Abraham's mind, and it says it in Scripture, in the book of Hebrews, he knew that even if he killed the boy, God would resurrect him. That's how much trust he had of Almighty God. That God would resurrect him because he promised him that the inheritance would be through him. Now, I don't recommend that in this day. I think if you hear somebody, something telling you that, you ought to say, get thee behind me, Satan, right away. Because that was a one-time situation. <laughs> okay, let's, let's be straight about that. You telling me you're hearing that? I'm going to say, kick him out of him in Jesus' name. So, all right. So when, when he's about ready to stab the boy or to sacrifice the boy, the angel of the Lord grabs his hand and says, don't worry, just testing your heart. So because you trust me at that level, here's what I'm going to do for you. And then God went on and just spoke to him a blessing that we, see, we see, still see to this day. Amen, amen. See, he obeyed God. And when he obeyed God, Abraham became a very wealthy man. Not focusing on the wealth aspect, but that's God's nature. God loves the prosperity of his servants. The book of Psalms says that. 
but he does not want to release that to you, which is going to become a curse to you. See, he can only bless you to the level that he can trust you or that you can handle. So don't be in a rush to want, you know, oh yeah, God, I want this, I want that. How about, God, help me understand where I'm at now. Help me to understand how to use the resources you've given me at this level, in this time of my life. I hope this is getting to one of you, or two of you, or three of you. I hope you're getting this. Hallelujah. So, let me give you briefly a couple of principles. And I'm almost finished. I'm landing here. I'm, I'm blaming this on Natalie today. It's all Natalie's fault. Pastor Adelijah from Kiev, he shared these points about money from a Christian perspective. And, of course, your relationship with God. Money is only a tool, a means to an end. It's never an end unto itself. So say to your neighbor, money is a tool. I want you to see that. Because in the year 2013, it's going to be your year to be able to start using money as a tool. Stop being a consumer and start becoming an investor. Start looking at it as a tool for your better future. It can be for your education. It could be to help your children. It could be to save something together as a family, to get a home or whatever it might be. My wife and I, we're planning right now. We're going to work very hard. And we're thinking the next car to get... Get a used car, cash. I hate paying these creditors. I'm serious. I hate it. I hate that I have to pay them every month. Are you, depending on the used car. I don't want to buy a, a jalopy. I want to buy maybe like a three-year-old car, two-year-old car. So I'm sacrificing. Put away. And before I used to get money, I said, oh, money, money, what can we spend it on? Because I was a consumer. But now I realize uh, getting a car is a very bad investment. That's not the way to multiply your money. We want to multiply it so that we could be used in the kingdom of God. We want to multiply it so we want to be a blessing to our children. So I want to put in as least as possible because a car is a tool. A car for me is not something I can show off. Yeah, I'd be the man. That's right. I got the best car in the church. So who cares about that? It's getting me from point A, point A, point A to point B. It's clean. It's good. You know, if I can afford... uh, um, you know, this type of car, I'll get it. If I can afford a little more, I'll get it. But I want to try to do it cash now. You understand? Because since I'm an investor, I realize if, if I lease a car, I spend all this money, I don't get it back. A horrible investment. And, and, and if I buy too expensive a car with too many toys, I, I probably spend 30 to 40% of my money uselessly. It's never going to multiply for the glory of God and for the betterment of my family. You understand? So I'm going to get a nice car, decent, but get it cash. Just done with it. That's it. Oh, here, investment. Because now it'll take me here and there, but I don't have any monthly payments. I'm just using this as an example. There's many things we can do, but use money as a tool. Number two, money is a good servant, but a bad master. Never allow it to rule your life. Say to your neighbor, money Money cannot cannot rule you. You You rule over money. Three, and this one is a whopper. You ready for this one? Stability, peace of mind, and joy in the family are far, far more important than money. If you have no time for your family because you're always working, 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 you're on the wrong end of the spectrum. You're focusing on the least important. The most important is your family, stability, and peace of mind. Fourth, wealthy, Christian wealthy people live below their means. I got one owl. That's true. 
The true wealthy, I'm not talking about the glamour people. I'm not talking about Hollywood where you're suddenly, you're, you're 14 years old and, and you got like $100 million. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that work hard, that, that, that saved their money, that invested it properly. They, they got dividend income now. People that work hard. Those people, they will not buy a new car. They will not buy, uh, you know, I, I don't, Bentleys or anything like that. They'll buy Toyotas, a new Toyota. You understand? And you don't even know they're wealthy. They won't even tell you. They'll spend this much and they make this much. But what happens to the consumer is you make this much and you spend this much. Living above your means. So what is, you know what that is? That is a recipe for disaster. I just found out this morning, got one of the reports, that the United States is headed toward a huge wall. Right now, one out of three people, no, it's a little more than one out of three people are living off the government in one way, shape, or form. Within a couple of years, we will be at 100% GDP. In other words, we'll be spending everything that the government takes from us. Because the government doesn't make money, it just, spend, it just takes money. That's how it you know, gets its money. So it'll, it'll make only enough to pay for people to either stay home or be retired or, or the sick and the infirm. There are some people that are legitimately needed, but many people are just abusing the system. But now it's, we're, at, we're right now at the point where it's slightly more than one of three people here in the United States. And, it, and it's, it now, now it's mushrooming because it, it keeps on growing to the point that once it starts accelerating, we're, we're now in acceleration mode. It, it'll, it, it'll probably hit us before the year 2020. So what happens, what we do personally, you, we're seeing it with our nation. They're doing it. And here's the problem. Every politician that gets in there, within five minutes they realize they can't touch the sacred cows. They can't start cutting the deficit because they're going to be ostracized. Oh, he's horrible. He doesn't love the people. Not the point. The point is, is that you only have a certain amount coming in. And after a while, it's just not enough. So you have to cut here. You have to cut somewhere. So either we cut by revelation or we cut by crisis. And that's what it looks like is going to happen. So that's why we individually have to be wise and start uh, setting our silos. The churches have to set their silos in order. So when that happens, we're all right. Amen. We'll be able to be a lighthouse and provide for many Amen. people. Amen. Praise God. It's a difficult thing. They need our prayer. Our, our government needs our prayer. Wealthy people let common sense Patience and self-control dictate their wants and needs rather than the attractiveness of something. They would rather live without something than buy them on credit or buy it on credit. Most of us can't handle it. We see it, we want it, that's it, I'm getting it, that's it. How are you going to pay for it? I'll put my credit card. You can't afford it, you shouldn't have it. Wealthy Christians use money and love God. They don't love money. And use God. They use money, love God, their family and friends and their neighbors. They realize that money doesn't make one rich. It's true. I know people right now who make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money. In other words, they make it, they're here, but they also spend this much. So they are also one to three paychecks from going bankrupt. They make a lot of money, 
but they spend a lot of money. And outside, they look successful. Got a beautiful apartment, beautiful this, beautiful that. But they're one to three checks away from the whole thing uh, falling apart. One guy who lived at the building where I work at, uh, he worked for Trump. And he got fired. And um, then after a while, after a couple of months, uh, the, uh, the city came in and changed the locks and locked him out of his own apartment. All his furniture's in there. And he came in with his dog. You know, he used to carry little, one of those nice, richy little, richy rich dogs. He used to carry him up there. So he came in. What's this? A big sign on his door. Um, can't get in. Um, Victor, what's going on? He says, uh, sir, you got to go to court. You know, oh, this is not fair. So you see him walk with, it's still with his pride. Instead of showing a, any level of brokenness, <laughs> walked away. Shortly after that, all the stores in the area started coming to our building. Uh, do you know where this guy is? He left. It's, oh, man, he owes me thousands of dollars. He wrote me a check here, a check there. You never really know. The man outside looks successful, fancy, you know, suits. But the man was a mess. Man was a mess. Money doesn't make you rich. Yeah, rock bottom, exactly right. Strategic investments and targeted discipline work is what does the job. That's the fuel and capital of success. You want to be successful? Strategic investments, targeted discipline work. Here's a kingdom principle. The ability to be content is a quality that should be valued more than gold. If a job you're at is getting you miserable and you're stressed out all the time, uh, it's time for you to let this principle soak in. Be content. Leave the job, get another one. Don't leave it first. Get another job, then leave it. Amen. I'm telling you, contentment, that is so key right now. They've offered me jobs where I can make probably 30, 40, 50,000 more than what I'm making now. And I say, no, thank you. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm content. I make enough, pay my bills, put a little bit aside. I'm fine. See, because when I was younger, I did the opposite. I went after the big buildings, managed the huge buildings. I thought a lot of money. No, a lot of stress. How do you spell tenant? It's, it's, it's spelled pain in the neck. From my perspective, at least. <laughs> dedicate yourself. Last one. Dedicate yourself to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Seek his kingdom first. Seek God first. And all these things will be added. See, those are just add-ons. God knows you need them. He will add them on to you. He'll help you through the process and get you to that place. <laughs>